The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily of ausleisure.com.au. This podcast covers the subject of alcohol consumption and as such is aimed at adults, although it does not contain any subject matter that would be offensive to children. Ausleisure.com.au and all participants remind our listeners that alcohol should always be consumed responsibly. It's a fine time to have a drink. Maybe with some mates for a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money. Let's be pleasure seekers, honey. And let's check the grapevine for advice. Oh, yes, indeed. A frosty beverage might be what you really need. Will it be red or white? Which way to go at all looks good tonight? Let's check the grapevine for advice. So hello, it's uh, Richard from Ausleisure speaking, and uh, welcome to episode six of the Ausleisure Grapevine. Again, we've got Greg from Doc Slicker here. Hello, Greg. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, yourself? Yeah, good, thanks, and welcome to Doc Slicker once again. Uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, now, today you're going to talk to us in depth about some things. Um, what, yeah, what's we're, that going to be? we're going to get very technical today. We've uh, uh, been talking about lots of different things over the past few podcasts, but Today we're going to actually talk about how wine is made from the actual start of wine when um, the grapes come out from the vine through to the actual wine making process. I uh, thought it might be a bit more interesting. So um, sit back, relax, pour a cold one and uh, <laughs> off I'll go. We're going to start off with the actual grapevine itself. It's known as Vitis vinifera, and that's the only grape vine that we actually use to produce wine grapes. And to achieve a high-quality fruit at the end of the day, um, it all starts in the vineyard, naturally. And uh, this all starts with the vigneron. We talked about last episode, you were asking me about we didn't uh, um, the oenologist, which is the winemaker. Well, the vigneron is the person in the vineyard who controls all the vineyard and helps set uh, the vines at the start and the fruit and the control and yeah, clips everything at the end and um, and then gets the grapes off to crushing at the end of the process. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So basically what you need to produce good wines is you need a, a balance of nature in the vineyard itself. And this includes things like good soil, irrigation, it's a topography, which is the mm. positioning of the vines, so usually facing northwest, so that they're catching good amounts of sunlight. Um, the altitudes, the slope, the aspect, all these things come into play w with your final production of the wine. And I think last episode as well, we were, uh, or a couple of episodes back, we were talking about that French word terrar, which is the, the flavour of the wines. And all that can come down to the vineyard itself and the way it's positioned and even the what they call the microclimate, which is the, the climate around the actual vine itself. Uh, so that canopy management as well as how much uh, fruit they allow to set on there or how many uh, leaves they allow to grow by pruning in the winter, all this makes a a difference in the actual production of the wine and then you've got to look at things like the climate as well so you get hot climate wines like uh, the Riverland which is a mass-produced wine so you get um, a lot of this is where all our cask wines come from and some of the cheaper varietals 
and they often produce lots and lots of fruit and they will leave lots of fruit on the vine when they harvest. Then you get a cooler climate, so, uh, uh, like Tasmania, where they might leave so much fruit on the vine, they might uh, crop a little bit closer for a bit more intensity. Um, or you might get a hot climate like uh, Barossa, which is um, still hot, but not... Uh, or uh, super hot like the Riverland, so, yeah. uh, but still gets intensity because they crop a little bit lower again. And when you get some of these super Barossa Shiraz, they might crop at very low levels. And because they're, they're just using the premium grapes, this is what gives intensity of flavour at the end of the day. So all these things go into producing the wine at the end of the um, finished product. What we've also got to look at is the ripening of the grapes. Now, the vine goes through a few different processes. So we're going to start off in winter, mm. and the vine's fairly dormant, and that's when your vigneron comes along. He will prune the vine so that he works out the maximum growth that he'll get out of it for the summer, depending on how much fruit that he wants to set on the, the vine for that summer. And again, this comes back to his cropping levels. Then we go into spring, and then once spring happens, which is happening in, I've got a little vine in my backyard actually, and um, it's just going into bud burst now, and the, the buds are just starting to come out, and probably another few weeks down the track, I'll see the leaves starting to sprout out. And then the next process along the track is when summer comes in and the berries settle come out, which is called veraison. And this is when the fruit starts to appear on the vine and then we get the fruit ripening and this is when all the colours and the flavours develop. And what happens is when our fruit actually sets and it's, it's nice and round and full of juice, then this is when they'll come along and measure the sugar levels and the acid levels. And they do this by inserting a hydrometer into the grape and they get what's called a barme and the Barme is the sugar level which equates roughly to the alcohol level that they want to achieve in the grape at the final production. So most grapes are picked between about oh, 12 to 15 barme that we're talking about um, on the average. The trend nowadays is a lot of red wines we're seeing, like some of these Barossa Shiraz and McLaren Vale Shiraz that are coming out 14, 15% alcohol. That means that they're picking the grapes slightly higher sugar. And uh, so once they get the, the right barme and they say that's what we want, then we go into um, the vintage. And this is usually around autumn. And this is when they start picking all the grapes. And this can either be done by hand or tractor and nowadays the harvesting process is mostly done by tractor okay. and uh, what they do is they, they have uh, big fingers that are on rollers on the back and they go along the grapevines and they spin around and actually um, beat the bunches off of the stem and they drop onto plates that are rolling along under under the arms the fingers there's minimal damage and uh, 
it seems to be an ongoing process that's working very, very well. So And quick. Yeah, quick and saves your time on, on production because what they want to do is get the grapes into the um, uh, winery as quick as possible. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's picked at night to retain moisture so it's not drying out. Um, and you still get some hand-picking, like in some of the smaller vineyards, particularly in France, I'll hand-pick it. So you get a product like uh, Chateau Echem, which is a dessert wine, which is usually oh, $700, $800 for a half bottle. And uh, they'll hand-pick everything. They won't, they wouldn't go near a tractor. But most wines in Australia now are tractor-picked, and uh, uh, it's just a case of... The vineyards are so big that they've got to get the fruit in and get it all processed. So after we've done that, we've moved out of the vineyard. Now we're going to go on to the actual winemaking process and how it's all created. So in Australia, for instance, we don't have all the classification rules that inhibit the wines from overseas, such as Italy and France, because they've got very strict rulings on their classifications and you can only pick certain wines at, uh, at certain levels from certain vineyards, like France has an Appalachian vineyard um, of Grand Cru, Premier Cru, and so you can only pick those wines. And uh, Australia, we can sort of just mix and match, and the vigneron can say, well, I've got some really good fruit there, I'm going to pick that, and I've got some fruit that can go in with it. It mightn't be quite as good, but it'll make a good blend. So... Mm. We've got a little bit more control over what we do. Um, the basic process of winemaking is once the grapes are picked, they go straight to the winery, and the first thing we do is crush and destem. Now, the crushing of the berries is to release the juice, but it's um, not crushing the pips, which contain bitter acids. And what we want to do at the same time is remove the stalks and it's achieved by the bunches pressing through the rollers which crush and separate and the resultant juice which is the first run is known as the must and this is usually the, the premium juice that comes out so must have it yeah must have it <laughs> um whites at this point are separated from skins and seeds unless the skin contacts desired to um, give a richer fuller flavor and the reds usually keep the skins and the juice and the seed in contact. Sulfur dioxide is also added at this point to prevent oxidisation of the must and um, it, dry ice is used to form a carbon blanket over the top as well before the must goes to pressing. Now, I've got to say about sulfur dioxide, we see on labels nowadays, um, if you look on the back of the wine bottle, uh, sulfur dioxide, which is uh, preservative 220, is, has been used in wines for years. Uh, some wines now are coming out organic, so they they're not they're being they can either be organic in the vineyard, or they can all, also be an organic wine where there's been no pesticides or things used around the vines, but they can also have no uh, sulfur dioxide added in the winemaking process. The, what this does to the wine is it actually um, won't give it the longevity mm. in the cellar that you'll get with normal wines that have that bit of um, sulphur dioxide in there because it's a, 
um, storing agents. So, uh, but some people do get reactions to that, and I'll talk about that in later shows about uh, okay. uh, so, uh, histamines and sulfur uh, dioxide reaction. Um, next part of the process after the the start is the pressing. Now, the pressing of the whole bunches of the grapes. It, um, lessens the release of the phenolic compounds, which are, give it a bitter taste, mm. and then this free-run juice that exudes naturally from the crushed mass, it gives the lightest and finest wines of all. So the earliest form of press is a basket press, which is big wooden slats, and mm. uh, the press is through and the juice just comes out. Oh, actually, sorry, I should correct myself, because the earliest form of press is the foot. <laughs> that's how we used to make wine and is still made in, in a lot of common circumstances, you know, for people having fun or yeah. just making something in the vineyard or even in the backyard. Um, then the next form was the press that they created, the basket press. There's a lot more modern versions nowadays which include uh, pneumatic presses which use inflatable bags. So it's all in the bigger wineries. They just use the inflatable bags and um, press all the grapes all automatically so again cuts down on labor cuts down on time um some of these modern wineries are amazing you, you virtually don't have to touch the grapes at all it's all all just done for you uh, next process is fermentation now wine basically is the fermented juice of grapes so fermentation is a metabolic process resulting in chemical changes that are brought about by enzymes of microorganisms. It's based on a chemical reaction. So it's basically sugars plus yeast convert, which create alcohol. And then you add carbon dioxide and heat, and that's fermentation. So once it all goes into the big vat, they put it in a, a big stainless steel vat, and... Um, this fermentation takes place. Now, a lot of these big wine vats, they'll form a cap over the top of the grapes, which is like a um, uh, the, from the carbon dioxide and everything bubbling up naturally. And what they do is they have what's called roto-fermenters as well in the modern tanks, which actually turn around, keep the wine turning, and this plunges the cap uh, in say a smaller scale what they do they might even plunge by hand and and just keep turning that cap over so it doesn't form a big crust on the top so um what it also does is allows a greater extraction of color in the wine mm. and um, this gives us again a, a bit more depth so all this winemaking process is to to get your final product and uh, it's a very technical process it's not just a case of um you know, saying, well, we just do these steps. The winemaker virtually will plan it from day one right through. Um, next thing they do is, uh, oh, sorry, I should finish this off here. The fermentation stops when all the sugar's been converted to alcohol. So if you want a drier style wine, that's when they do that. Um, when the temperature's lowered, uh, you can get a, a non-drier style or a slightly mm. sweeter style so they might have different reasons for stopping the fermentation um, uh, or they might remove all the yeast or 
when they've reached a certain alcohol level and that's when they say, right, this is what we want to achieve out of this wine, we've got this style, this level, and then they stop the fermentation process. And then they go on to what's called racking. So racking is um, the wine left to settle and mature for a period of time and every few months it's racked off its lees and I remember you asked me what lees were uh, a while ago. Lees are the dead yeast cells that are left behind and um, they siphon it off from one tank to another and this removes the lees which are sediment and also gives a, a bright wine as well. So by siphoning off, you're creating a, a brighter, cleaner mm. wine as well. Makes sense. Um, after the racking process, the next thing we do is we start fining. So, again, this is only something that's relatively new. The sulfur dioxide's appeared on the labels for the last couple of years. Only in the last uh, 18 months we've been seeing on the back of wine labels uh, fish products used or made with egg products or um, <laughs> gelatine. So it, it's to do with the actual food laws now that you have to state that what products may uh, be in a, uh, well, in a food, because we see it all the time with may contain traces of nuts. Mm. Well, the same thing has to happen with the wine label. Um, truth is, we've been finding wines with different products for centuries and everything from... Um, fish roe, um, egg whites are commonly used. That's the most common product nowadays. A bentonite, which is a clay, and they've even used bull's blood. So uh, it's all to do with the finding is that the wine goes through the product and then this catches all the uh, impurities and sediments and, and just gives a clean product. So if you pick up your wine bottle and you look at it on the back label and you say... Uh, well, it's got egg products in there. It hasn't actually got egg products in there. It's just the wine's been filtered through the egg, egg product to give you the final wine. And it's virtually the same as what you've been drinking for the last few years anyway. Yeah. So, um, next thing is maturation. Now, after we've, we've done all this process, we've filtered it, the wine's ready to be matured. So... There's a, a couple of different ways that we do it. Say it's a white wine. What happens commonly nowadays, unless it's a really expensive white wine, um, most white wines will go into steel tanks and they will mature the wine in the steel tank. Now, again, to save costs with larger wineries, um, to get the wood flavour in the wine, what they'll do is they'll put wood chips in or they'll put wood staves in and then they'll achieve a certain balance of oak and fruit mm. and then they'll get the final product out. And I know when they were first starting with all this in the late 80s and early 90s and we were getting some white wines that actually tasted like tree branches in bottles because they didn't get the balance right of the, the oak. Um, but a, a bit more uh, expensive wine they will actually put in an oak barrel to get the oak flavours and get the balance right. Red, most reds will go into oak barrel as well, although they can use the same process. Mm. Uh, it just depends on, on the quality of the wine. Um, the other uh, thing with the, the maturing in the oak barrel, you do tend to get different flavours because when the oak barrels are assembled by the cooper, the, 
uh, vigneron or the winemaker, well, sorry, will say, toast the barrel. So what they do is they put the barrel over a fire mm. and he'll say, toast it lightly or toast it medium or toast it heavy because those flavours are going to impart on my wine at the end of the day. So, uh, again, it's a an ongoing process just by putting it in a barrel. Then he's got to decide how long he's going to keep it in the barrel. Do I keep it in there for 12 months, two years, uh, whatever? Again, all goes uh, directly to affecting the flavour. The last thing they do, or the last two processes that they do, is cold stabilisation and the wine's held at just above freezing, which is about minus four degrees, for a couple of weeks. And this uh, is to precipitate out what's called tartare crystals. Now, sometimes you'll get a, bo a bottle of wine and you'll pour it out and you'll be drinking it and you'll see what looks like salt around the bottom of the wine. This is actually a tartrate crystal and uh, it's harmless. It just looks a bit unsightly in the bottle and mm -hmm. and it's just through the stabilization process so most wineries will cold stabilize and take the tartrate out but i've had some very expensive wines and still found some um mm. tartrate in there so it doesn't affect the wine but as i said it just looks a bit off sometimes if you're you know holding your wine up to the light to look at it um and then the last process is filtration now um once stable, most but not all wines are filtered and they're taken through various grades of filters just to finally rid all the particles out. Um, some of the finest filters can remove some of the flavours from the wine though. So oh. some wines are actually unfiltered and one of the wines that I often rave about like Plates' Armand Ra is actually unfiltered Shiraz. So... You, what you need to do then is decant to, to remove some of that sediment. And um, Grange, I'd say, would be pretty much the same thing because they recommend decanting. So a lot of winemakers will say, we think this is a really premium grape. We're not going to filter. Or they might only filter once, whereas some may filter a couple of times yeah. to just clean it up. But it does strip some of the flavour. And after we've done all this winemaking process... The last thing we do is we bottle. So mm. it goes through the bottling plant. Um, there's actually a, a process within the bottling. Um, you, you can actually sterilise within the bottle. So the wine's heated to 54 degrees Celsius. It's bottled and then it's cooled slowly and this kills the bacteria in the wine. Now there's a um, another process as well, which is pasteurizing by bottling cold and then heating to 84 degrees celsius and this is usually used on bulk wines but it does affect the flavor again so mm. it can strip a little bit out um, once all the the bottling process and the sterilization is finished the bottles are then labeled packaged and then distributed and sent off to your local bottle shop like docks <laughs> and, uh, yeah. so it's it's a long process and i think that we don't really appreciate how much work goes in to that bottle of wine that we be and be it a ten dollar bottle of wine or a fifty dollar bottle of wine it all goes through the same process yeah. at yeah. the end of the day so um really the these guys work hard for the money and uh, uh to see the thing from 
from woe to go, go to woe or A to Z. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a big process, but it really makes you appreciate what you're drinking at the end of the day. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's a, it is. It's a, a, um, when you really get to see how it's made, it is a, a fascinating process. And uh, we don't, as I said, we don't really appreciate it because we just go into the shop, buy a bottle of wine and, and don't think about yeah, where it actually came from. We're always in a bit of a rush, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, winemaking. So I think um, next episode we, we might actually talk about champagne making and uh, I'll go through the processes there because it's a very different process. and yeah. uh, Although similar, but uh, has its own little quirks and so we might talk a little bit about that. Okay, great. Now, uh, your uh, this is a bit I look forward to. Your best buys. <laughs> right, no, I've got back onto format this this episode. I know we've been jumping around. And we last one we did champagnes, and the one before that we jumped around a bit. But I thought I'll get back to recommending a white wine, a red wine, and a beer because I found some absolute crackers in the last few weeks. Um, the white wine of the uh, the month that I found is called Hayshed Hill. 2007 and Semillon Sauvignon Blanc is its actual blend. Mm. Now, this is a Western Australian wine. When we talk about some of the wine regions uh, recently, we were talking about different areas and which area or region produces the best styles. This is definitely the forte of WA besides some of their reds. Um, Semillon Sauvignon Blanc is a blend of two grapes and it has a lot more complexity than, say, just the straight Sauvignon Blancs that we tend to get, even the New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs, which can be a little bit one-dimensional where they've got all the fruit up the front of the palate, but then they tend to fall away at the end. They're great summer drinks, but they don't have a lot of backbone to them. By adding some Semillon in there, you get a little bit more weight and a little bit more palate length as well. So... Uh, again, great area, good wine for the money. Um, it's an easy drinking style. It's a, uh, got a slightly savoury, spicy fruit character to it. And that additional palate length and depth of flavour makes it a, a little bit more food orientated. So great with yeah. some of your seafood dishes and uh, pastas and things like that and it's got lovely lively lively zesty summery notes as well mm. price is about $18 and yeah good drink for the money highly recommended great uh, the red wine that I've brought along in uh, the next section is Koleski 2005 Pirathon Shiraz now the name actually comes from an ancient word for pinnacle so they think this is their pinnacle of their their wine, although they've got many others in their range as well, which have had very high acclaim. Um, it's quite a good wine. It's very full-bodied, has all the flavours and structures of a Barossa Shiraz. This is from the Northwest Barossa, and it's the Northwest has aspects of higher altitudes and slopes, and these tend to give it a bit more unique flavours. Uh, from the lower Barossa, which mm. are usually that chocolatey, rich vanilla sort of flavour. This has a little bit more structure to it, um, a little bit more McLaren bar-like, I suppose, in some of the flavours. Um, but the grapes are sourced from some of the really great sub-regions in the Barossa, like um, Granite Creek, 
Mopper Springs, Stonewell Vineyards, Canunga Districts, and these are some of the really standout areas over there. Uh, the price for the wine is about $22, and no. yeah, just fantastic little buy for the um, for the punter that just wants something good without spending a fortune. And um, the winemaker Troy Koleski, I've just found out, has also just been voted the 2007 Young Gun of Wine. So he's done very wow. well. So highly recommend it. Koleski, 2005 Pirathon Shiraz. And my last product <laughs> for the day is um, a beer. We haven't done any beers for a while. So discovered this beer a few weeks ago. Very excited. It's from... Um, Murray's Brewing, Craft Brewing Company, and it's called Murray's Sassy Blonde. And it's a Belgian pale ale style. It's very deep golden in colour with a tight off-white head. And it displays a spicy orange flavour with hints of toasty biscuity malt. Mm. And it just finishes with a restrained bitterness. And great drink. Again, very good with seafood. Yes. So... Uh, it's something that you can knock over fairly easily, but you know, <laughs> still got that lovely structure about it. And the price for that's a three ninety nine a stubby or um, fifteen dollars for a four pack. So yeah. we're seeing a lot more um, these great craft brews around at the moment, and uh, there's just so many popping up. We we can't keep up with them. And I think further down the track, we're actually we're going to talk about craft brewing in Australia and. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about how that's really taken off fantastic but we're certainly living in a good time aren't we oh yeah yeah. (laughs) it's a great time for wine and beer in australia so uh, we make the most of it and enjoy while we can brilliant thanks very much greg our pleasure as always richard and uh if anybody has any questions and uh, they want to drop me a line i'll be happy to answer our email is docsballin d-o-c-s B-A-L-W-Y-N at yahoo.com.au and uh, just drop me a line and I'll be happy to answer anything I can if you want any wine advice and of course if you always want to find out a bit more um, just keep listening to Oz Leisure or uh, have a look at the blog site which is linked up and uh, we're always reviewing different wines and talking about different products. And it's a dirty job. It is, yeah, someone's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thanks very much, Greg. Thanks again, Richard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Our thanks go to Greg and everyone at Doc's Liquor. If you would like to contact Doc's directly, they have stores in Bullman North and Ringwood North, both in Victoria. You can call them on 03 9859 or 0398799200 and please be sure to tell him that Greg sent you. Docs also have a blog with all of the latest news and information. You can find that at docslicker.bigblog.com.au Oslo's a Grapevine is published every month so if you like this podcast please be sure to subscribe to the feed through iTunes and others. Full details on how to do that as well as the topics covered in this episode, contact details, past episodes and notes on future episodes can be found at www.osleisure.com.au forward slash grapevine. If you have any comments on the show or suggestions for future shows, then please send us an email to grapevine at osleisure.com.au. We want to produce the content that you want to hear. Thanks for listening 
This is Richard Maguire for ausleisure.com.au, your guide to Australian holiday and leisure activities. Until next time, see you later. It's a fine time to have a drink. Maybe with some mates for a date sounds good now, don't you think? Forget the world, don't worry about money. Let's be pleasure seekers, honey. And let's check the grapevine for advice. Oh, yes, indeed. A frosty beverage might be what you really need. Will it be red or white? Which way to go? It all looks good tonight. Let's check the grapevine for advice. <laughs>